everyone. Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. Welcome to this week's podcast where we are talking all about throwing reserves. Now, I've thrown a reserve on my last SIB course. Kevin can fly. He's an instructor. He's thrown a re, uh, reserve also. Make sure that you go to ppgforums.com and that will take you to Nick's YouTube channel. And that's where we stream live our podcast. We used to do it just audio, and we are doing it now on Zoom. So you are welcome to come over and watch our live show every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. And after 35, 45 minutes, we let everyone come on and talk and ask questions. There's a live chat and everything. So this is last week's. Uh, enjoy the show, and we will see you later tonight because it is Monday on the live show. And you can just go to ppgforums.com. It brings you to Nick's YouTube. And shoot, come on on. Uh, we're going to be talking about the – well, actually, wait until tonight. You can't wait. Anyways, welcome to the show, and here we go. Oh, you said that JP is going to be uh, coming to us live? From the air. He's going to try to log in uh, on his flight. Oh, that's going to be cool. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. We have Kevin Can Fly in the background right now, and we have PPG Nick. And we also are going to have JP Tool coming in live from a flight from 20,000 feet. Well, maybe not that high, but he's going to be up in there. He's going to be joining us today. Today, our show is all about reserves, throwing a reserve. And maybe uh, JP can actually throw a reserve while he's live and show us uh, what it's actually like. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk with Kevin. Kevin uh, threw a reserve on his SIB. And uh, since this is all about reserves, Kevin, tell us about your reserve toss and how fun it was. And I bet you can't wait to do it again. So first of all, I just want to start out by saying I did not sabotage JB for the sake of clickbait views like Sean kind of hinted at. That was not my fault. So if he does throw a reserve, that's 100% on him. Just <laughs> for the sake of being publicly transparent, we would never sabotage a pilot for clickbait views. No, we don't want anyone throwing a reserve unless they have to. But if you have a problem, definitely throw that thing. First things first. Um, if you ever even feel the need, the wing has collapsed and you look down at the ground and you don't think that you could ever even try to pump or do anything more than think, throw your reserve. If you ever collide with another pilot, throw your reserve. Those are two times I'm going to start out as an instructor by saying those are immediate. Don't think about recovery. Think about preservation and throw your reserve. Getting tangled up with another guy is a bad thing. Oh, and but, Kevin, real quick too, just in case uh, you know, we have people here that's never come here before, tell us all about yourself and, um, and uh, your school and everything real quick. So I'm Kevin Kaply, as a lot of people know. Um, I've been flying paragliders for about five years. Uh, I've moved my way through the rating systems. And uh, I, I've debated being an instructor of paragliding, but the Yushpa program charges some money and there's some insurance and things that prohibit it. Um, but I started flying PPG a uh, little over six months ago. I put, shoot, a lot of hours. I don't even remember because I don't log them. 
um, a lot of hours in the air. And in the process of doing that, I've taken SIVs and now have instructed students into the air. So I've kind of seen it from both sides. And uh, when I took my SIV, I've done two SIVs. Uh, one of them, uh, were, let me rephrase, both of them were paragliding SIVs. Neither one of them were for paramotor specific. But the principles, as my view sees it, is still kind of the same when it comes to collapsing the wing, recovering the wing, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, I was a spirited pilot, if you want to call it that, when I came out of training. Uh, my instructor viewed me as the kind of guy who was going to go and learn infinite tumbles. And it was never my intention. I just grew up riding dirt bikes, so I have what I like to call danger commitment. Um, when I decide that I'm committed to, to doing it, I, I commit 100%. And I kind of do it a little bit blindly, sometimes foolishly. So he thought it would be a good idea um, for me to just go straight away, right out of training, straight to SIV, because he kind of thought I would be that kind of guy that would go out and push the bounds. And, you know, I, I kind of am. So I went and uh, I did an SIV with a gentleman named Matt Sr. And that was a fantastic trip. We went out to the lake, uh, I forget the name of it. It's here in Washington State. And uh, went up, did the collapses, did the spirals, um, didn't do any acro. So I didn't do sats or anything like that. But it was uh, the first time around was just a full collapse recovery, um, you know, get to know how things go when they go wrong, kind of an SIV course. The second one I did with Brad, and that one was a little more in-depth. That was a little more wingovers. That was a little more radical stalls and stall recoveries, stuff like that. And the last flight was, hey, you should throw your reserves so you know what it feels like. And why not, right? And, like, it's a joke because a lot of people don't know what color their reserve is. It comes out and they look up and they go, oh, it's yellow. Because the diaper is white. They think that their reserve is white. And when it actually comes out and opens, it's actually a yellow reserve or a red reserve. And they're kind of like, wow. So in, in no harm fashion, um, I grabbed the handle. And in one smooth motion, I got the reserve all the way up across to the handle to my collarbone. And right about the time I got my handle to my collarbone, Everything just trickled down and out of the diaper, out of my chest and lap and trailed off behind me. And there was no such thing as a throw. I didn't ever throw the reserve. And it kind of baffled me. And this is something that um, I've talked about with other pilots uh, off of the show is when you expect the reserve to, to come out and work and operate a certain way, that it's a false expectation because every single reserve deployment is always going to be its own experience. So, and, I, and Sean and I were talking about this before the show, the, the real world experience of, of that same reserve toss could have been catastrophic because if I would have been spun up in a riser twist and completely G'd out in a downward motion and not actually had the fortitude of throwing the reserve where it needed to go, it could have just as easily gone right up, got twisted up, and never been a deployment to speak of. So the difference between that controlled SIV toss where you have, you know, people in boats and things versus that real-world experience, I've never personally thrown a, a reserve in the wild. I hope I don't have to, but I've always prepared myself for it mentally. Every time I go to leave the ground, I check my pens, I check my handle, 
I make sure that everything's where it's supposed to be, routed how it's supposed to be. Even though I put it away, you know, working, I always go back to double check it. So um, my reserve toss experience is pretty benign. Uh, the one thing I will say is when you uh, have to deform the wing and then collect it so you don't downplane, there's a lot more force involved than you would believe you have to give the, the wing to get it to come to you. Uh, whether it's a beeline stall or a brake line stall, you basically just have to pick a line and just start wrenching the snot out of it until you get fabric in your hand. And it's way easier said than done. I mean, when we sit here and have these discussions and talk about collapses over the ocean and unbuckling yourself and getting ready for the water, I mean, you really don't have time. I mean, it's all great to talk about stuff like that, but the only thing you really have time for is to throw the reserve and hopefully get a swing or two before you hit the dirt. I mean, that's kind of my takeaway. I like talking about it and I like the discussions, but the practicality of what I've seen, yes or no, you know, I don't know. But when that's been my experience. When you threw your, your reserve, was it a round reserve or was it a steerable? No, it was round. That's, that's what I threw also. Now, now you actually have your own reserve. What kind is it? Is it round or steerable? Um, my reserves, both of my reserves are round, whether it's for a paramotor or paraglider. And the only difference is my paramotor reserve is a hundred and I think it's 160 pound reserve. And then my paragliding reserve is 110 or 120 kilogram reserve. So they're just a little bit difference in size. My paramotor reserve though has what we call as a, a quick deployment reserve. So when you pull the, the handle out, there's a drogue chute that's about three foot round that comes out and opens before the actual reserve gets pulled and opened. And it just helps to drag everything out and open into the wind a little faster. So when you, since you have that um, the one with the little drogue on it, when you take it out and you pull it across your chest, would that like try to keep it going that way instead of being able to throw it out when you need to throw it out? Well, the drogue is inside the diaper. It's not exterior to it. So you still have to get the whole diaper and everything to go to tension. You got to pop all the rubber bands in the last bind in order for it to open and everything work. But that initial drogue chute is what hangs out. It doesn't actually get folded. It just sits kind of bundled on top. And so as soon as the bundle comes out, it kind of comes out first. And through the couple of... Uh, repack deployments that I've done with it at the clinics, it, it'll catch even the small breeze. <laughs> it'll take the whole thing out and let you lay on your back a minute. So it works. <laughs> uh, so you know how to repack a, a round reserve and you've gone through clinics. Do you teach those clinics also? No, 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 no. So right here where I live, I'm fortunate enough here in Oregon to have two different uh, paragliding schools that once a year do repack clinics and so I take my motor and my paragliding harness and we go to the school and the one that I like to go to is called Discovery Paragliding and they're in Warrington, Oregon on the coast and Brad and Marin uh, are the, the two that own and run the school there and they do a fantastic job with their reserve clinics and so we pull them out, we inspect them, inspect the lines and then Brad and Marin will help us um, get them all lined up, addressed. And if you don't really want to do it and you just want to get your reserve repacked, 
then they're super cool and they'll just do the repack for you and you can toss them a couple bucks and everything is awesome about that. So it, it both sides, but no, myself, um, I probably could be that guy that would have that 60% faith in my repack, but I like having somebody who is, you know, specifically trained in that portion. I've never been a skydiver. I've never done skydiving packing or parachute packing. So that's not my expertise. And I try to be smart enough in this sport to know how to stay in my own lane. How often do you need to get your reserve checked? Checked? Depends yeah. on how, how new it is or if you bought it used. Um, my recommendation is to get it repacked once a year. At, I mean, they say every six months, but I think that's excessive. I think once a year is fine. Really? They, and, say, they say six months? Yeah, generally most manufacturers tell you to pull the pull the diaper and, and inspect and repack your, your pack within every six months. If you look at videos and you see, and you can talk to Leah about this because I know you're going back to Florida here soon. Yeah. Um, a, a reserve that's been repacked within the last two to three months is going to open up about a third faster than a reserve that's been packed for over a year. Oh. So if you if you let that thing ball up, take shape, and then never pull it out, it's I mean it's just gonna compress and then stay compressed, and it's gonna be harder to get it out. Every every now and then to open it, fluff it, change its shape, and then repack it nice and fresh. It's like the old parachute guys. The first time you threw the parachute guy up, it just went up and it, oh bam hit the floor, and you were like, well that didn't work. But after you opened the sail and messed with it and then threw him up in the air, all of a sudden he came dangling down. Same kind of principle, in my opinion. Interesting. I didn't even think about that. Um, since we're talking about rechecking things, how about your wing? How often should you get your wing checked by a professional? M most manufacturers recommend a 100-hour inspection or any time you damage it. And when you say damage, are we talking about um, a line damage? Are we talking about the fabric damage? I mean, what, what, I mean every time you go out, you kind of – damage it anyways how severe of damage do we need to uh to, to send it back and get it checked and how long does it take too well that depends on the place that you send it to i know that a lot of people will send a wing to cloud nine and a lot of people like to send them to four winds ppg my my preference is to send it to shannon at four winds she has taken care of me excellently and their turnaround time in, in my experience is about three days three to five days so wow. if you send your wing on Monday priority, it's generally in Florida by Wednesday end of day. And then by, by Friday or Saturday, she sends you a notice that says, this is what I have to do and this is what it's going to cost you. And then she boxes it up and sends it back to you with priority mail and tracking and it shows back up in another two to three days. So the whole turnaround process for me to get uh, my lines and everything done I think it was only eight days uh, from the time that the package left my door to the time that I pulled the wing overhead and flew it again. Wow. So in other words, if you know that you're going to have a really rainy week that you won't be able to fly, that's the time to send it off and get it checked out. Oh, yeah. I mean, in my opinion, when you, when you ask the question about damage, and, and that's a, a really relative term, because like for me, when I damaged my wing, I damaged the sheathing on one D-line. And so I talked to Shannon and asked her, you know, whether it should be inspected or not, or if I should just replace the line. And her opinion was, send me the wing, because then I can match 
whatever the length is as far as keeping the wing in trim or I can just send you a factory length line. And, and the determination between getting a factory length line or getting the glider retrimmed was kind of a no-brainer for me. I mean, I'm gonna send it to you for a week, you'll inspect the whole thing, you'll replace the broken line, make sure the whole wing is in trim and send it back. Like, how do you beat that? And she literally just charged me $20 for the line replacement because she had to make one new line and that was it. Nothing else in the glider needed repair or was damaged. So they gave me the inspection and sent it back. Happy day. That's really interesting. So, now, how shipping both directions. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I ask you, it cost, it'll cost you shipping for both directions and what they do and, and time or how does that work? Uh, per repair. So like for me, my instance was one line. <clears throat> so she made up a new line the new line was 20 bucks. I paid their inspection fee, which I think was like $75. I could be totally wrong about that, remembering poorly. But yeah, so it was just 20 bucks for the new line, the inspection, and then shipping both directions. But there was no, no holes, no patches, um, porosity. You know, they went through, did a full test, full check. And because uh, I bought my wing, you I should say, I traded for my wing. Uh, I started out with a 21 meter free ride and decided I didn't like having the holy crap rides every time I go out flying. So I went back some a little more mellow to a spider and I traded a guy. He wanted to go up. I kind of wanted to go down. So we uh, traded wings. They were both about the same amount of hours. So the I think the second or third flight, uh, one of my videos, I was going downwind, hit some sink and then bottomed out on a gravel road and just tagged a line. And it was just really stupid pilot error, but you know, paying for it. Okay. It's the way we learn. It's the way we learn how to do dumb things and not do them again. Definitely, we 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 all learn every day. I don't think anybody really is a master paramotor or paraglider because even then, uh, even if they think that they're master, they're still going to learn something. Since we're talking about. <laughs> um, sending things back and get them checked out. How about as far as like the carabiners and those little straps the carabiners connect to um, your actual harness? Um, wh what would you say, what would you say, suggest about those things? Well, I, I inspect my, my harness every time I fly and I inspect the connection points. Carabiners are a cheap replacement part in my opinion. So if you get grit in your carabiners and you're having a hard time getting them to open or close, lock shut, whatever, if they're not locking properly, just replace them. Go get a new set. They're really cheap and easy to get. They're not that hard to replace. I mean, they just slip right in the loop. As far as the actual webbings go, if you start to see that the webbings are fraying or any of the stitching is starting to come apart, my, my honest opinion is you should start almost immediately looking for a new harness. Um, that, I mean, your life is hanging in the balance of that harness. And when that stuff starts to fray, I mean, there's redundancies built into it and safety built into it. But I mean, if my life hangs from it, I'd rather spend, you know, two or 300 bucks, replace the harness and know that it's nice and new than be falling wishing I wasn't. Or, you know. What would you say is the average life of a harness? Oh, that could be 300 hours or more if you treat your harness well and don't smash her into the dirt and butt land everywhere and, you know, stuff like that. 
you're driving home and your your gear is on the back of your car, back of your truck, and you have to drive through a rainstorm to get home. Um, you know, the water, if not properly dried out, can degrade the harness. I mean, you know, different aspects. Sun, I think sun is the big one. We all know to keep the sun off of our wing and cover the wing, keep the wing in the car, whatever. But your motor sits out there. It's on the back of your truck or back of your van. And a lot of us, myself included, I don't have a paramotor cover that, you know, sun shade or rain shade. So, you know, the open element can take and take a toll on it. That's, that's probably the biggest thing I think, in my opinion, is just the open environment because, you, you know, we just don't really consider the harness as much as we consider the wing. Oh, it's still part of your life-saving device. That's what's attaching you to that wing. Absolutely. Would would um would it be good to bring your harness to a seamstress that may be able to fix it? And if you would, who would you bring it to to to, to make repairs? I I personally wouldn't look outside of the flying community for any repair like that. I I wouldn't believe that a standard um, dressmaker or tailor would be the kind of person that would have the mentality or fortitude to be able to work out something like that. I mean, I'm sure they would have great sewing skills, but, you know, understanding and knowing the, the necessity of what's going to happen and the brevity of it. I mean, you know, I don't know. I would, I would just stay, you know, again, that's that stay in your lane thing. And I think when it comes to flying, that's a repair that needs to stay in the flying community. Yeah, more of a uh, parachute rigger type uh, yeah. operation would be able to fix that. Exactly. Yeah, I would. I would think like maybe your local paraglider or a para. What do you call it? A parachuting club or skydiving club. Um, you know, maybe like like I said, Cloud Nine or even Shannon. I'm not sure if Shannon would do a, a harness repair. Maybe um, always definitely something worth reaching out and asking. Uh, I've never had to do one personally, so I, I can't really attest to it firsthand. So 300 hours, or if it gets damaged for the harness, 100 hours for your wing, and they recommend six months for a reserve, but you think maybe uh, a year would be good? Yeah, like I said, I think once a year is, is a good, good number to do your repack, and then um, every 100 hours or every damage. And, uh, you know, damage is relative. Like I said, a, you know, a damage inspection could just be lay the wing out on its back and go over it with a fine tooth comb and just make sure you didn't take off an attachment point because there's a lot of authority with that prop when it comes down and snags a line it can bang i mean it really can rip an attachment point out and you don't realize it until you bring that wing up and you see one of those lines flying there dangling behind you so just different you know different folks have different strokes when it comes to their their inspection but I think once a year or maybe once every two years, depending on how much you fly, is a good good amount of time to send your wing in for a trim. The biggest thing about trim is when you go to launch your wing, you'll notice that the wing will come off to one side or come off to another side. It won't want to launch straight. And so having a wing in trim makes it a lot easier. And it's also safer because you don't have to worry about collapses. Okay. I know that you said that you got to get going, so Kevin, uh, uh, your time here and all that. Looks like we got JP. Uh, What's up, guys? Sorry, guys. What up? Kevin can get reported by to the the fibs. Oh, you know. <laughs> new shirt. Don't report Kevin. <laughs> 
Yeah. Don't yeah. report Kevin. So next, I like it. We'll chat more about something. I'm sorry that you got to go so soon. Well, it's, you know, it's one of those times we're trying to run a show on a holiday weekend. And unfortunately for me, I'm out of town with the family this weekend. So trying to do my best to fill in in the show and keep the family happy and keep everyone moving. So, you know, it's been one, two, many times. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. I mean, Kevin, truly appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, thank you guys. Like I said, everyone be safe. Everyone have a good time. Memorial weekend. Everybody remember to salute. So, you guys enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Anytime, my friend. Good one. Good luck, Kevin. Well, it looks like the is logged in. And you are going to, I see that you're what, starting in. Oh, he's adding some What's gas that? to it. So Hopefully, I don't pour uh, fuel on my phone. So, you're streaming from your phone. That's pretty cool. From my phone to my to my helmet to uh, whatever. What time is it? It is 825. 825. What time is sunset? Um, oh, well, in about uh, 35 minutes. Maybe 40. Well, it depends on where you are. Where, where, where are you? Where are you calling He's in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. That's uh, central, so it's uh, 8... Ten. Oh, you trying to figure out how much fuel to add? <clears throat> well, you have about 35, 40 minutes before sunset. So you need an hour worth of fuel to be on your reserve. Bingo fuel to be on bingo. Yeah, always have that extra. Yes, sir. Don't, don't pull so, Sean. No, hey. no foot dragging on empty. Does anybody want to tell me anything about my uh, recording at the moment? Yeah, you need to turn it. <laughs> my, there you go. My man. Who does that? Who does that? So where are you right now? And explain where you are because this is also going to be an audio podcast. I know exactly we where are, he's at. <laughs> we are at beautiful uh, Erdy Aviation LTD in Sunbury, Ohio. Um, we've got Lance Rhodes and owner operator Walt Erdy. Say hi, Walt. Say hi to YouTube. Right on. So he's got this beautiful piece of land here that he keeps so well groomed, um, and lets us fly out of it. So it's, uh, really nice here. It's, you know, pretty open. There's, uh, you know, a few trees here and there, but for the most part, uh, you couldn't ask for a better place to um, set up and and do this beautiful thing we call paramotoring. So, um, very, I feel very fortunate to have found this place. Um, you taking so, the yeah, same path uh, I took to launch, aren't you? Aiming for the trees. Yeah, right there. I got a video of the other day from the air of uh, Nick heading straight for that patch of trees. We got all this open space over here, and and what do you know? Nick heads straight for those trees. So, but we'll that's, get it turned before then. That's where the wind was wanting me to go. Yep, yep, yep. I just followed the wind in the wing. and So, 
It'd be dangerous. So when are you when are you taking off? Are you taking off pretty soon? Gonna I'm gonna make... take off here in thirty seconds. All right. Yeah. Uh, I might hang you from my chest. Uh, video might get kind of sloppy here in a minute. So. I've never hung from your chest before, so this will be a new one. <laughs> right on. So, where are we going? So, while you're getting everything set up, what kind of uh, motor are you flying? What kind of wing do you have? I am on a Parajet Maverick with a Moser 185 Viterazzi with an exhaust that's still in one piece, despite what uh, the internet claims. Um, I've had it for over 100 hours now, and knock on wood, haven't had any exhaust issues yet, but the night is still young. Um, so we'll see about that. I am on a 24 meter ozone spider. Um, what else? So, the night is still young. Tip steering. <clears throat> so, oh, I might lose you here for a second. I'm walking away from my phone. And you have that really cool uh, addition of fuel injection <laughs> on that motor. Poke this somewhere for me. Thank you. Perfect. What, what, do you, what do you mean? He has fuel injection? He has EFI on that motor. No way. What's that? You have the uh, cool EFI system. Uh, on I got motor. one. Thank you. Sorry about that, guys. What? So you have that, that, that nice, cool EFI system on your motor, too. I do, I do. A big shout-out to Aviator PPG and Alex Huff for uh, always offering, you know, top-notch service and nice. customer service. And uh, I I uh, hit up Aviator at first when I was uh, looking into it, and oddly enough, the engineer that developed it lives, like, right down the road from me. So um, I got his, him to personally install it and you know, offer tech support and everything for me. So I, I, you know, couldn't be more pleased with that. And uh, the throttle response and everything is just fuel consumption, smoothness. I've had people comment, you know, seeing me fly on how, man, are you, are you sure that's a two-stroke? You must have that carburetor adjusted really well. You know, I've had like farmers say to me and stuff, and like, that's because there is no carb. Yeah, yeah, I was flying beside the other day, and you you get on the throttle, and it was right there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like, you seem like you're in and out of it a lot, too, trying to match oh, yeah. speed. Love it. Love it, yeah. It came in, in handy when I was uh, trying to tip bump you there. So. Next time, I'll go up with a K2, and you should be able to tip bump me on that one. Yeah, yeah. All right, JP, I know that you're clipping in now, so if you would like to maybe – um, go over what you're doing as far as checking yourself before you go your um, pre-flight. Oh, I, he 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 went mute. All right, yeah, he's probably doing he, a motor run-up. All right, so he's doing his pre-flight. Uh, I, I guess real quick we can go over uh, pre-flight. We'll see, um, Bob. You want to go over pre-flight? I see that you're in the chat. You want to talk about pre-flight? I'm not a motor guy yet. I'm still I'm still a noob. Oh, okay. Um, Nick, you want to go for pre-flight? Yeah, check. Uh, once you've already pre-flighted your motor, you know, prop, bolts, make sure everything's not loose. Nothing's going to fly off. Everything looks good. Strap the motor on. You have, do you actually have a, a list of what you do <coughs> uh, pre-flight? Uh, generally, I check uh, exhaust, exhaust mounts, engine mounts, 
uh, fuel tank, fuel lines, look for any leaks. I check the carburetor and the air, uh, the intake silencer, make sure it's on its strap and tight. I check the prop bolts, make sure everything's spinning free, no nicks in the prop. Check the cage, all the Velcro straps, make sure all they're tight. Usually I'll grab the cage and kind of shake it, make sure nothing's loose and danger coming back to the prop. Then I look through my harness, make sure all that's good. I always check my throttle cable, make sure it's returning right before I put it on my back. And once I put it on, leg straps, center strap, and upper strap, check my helmet. Then I'll usually start the motor up and go through the throttle, make sure, you know, shake it a little bit, make sure it's not coming off of idle as I move it around. Make sure it returns to back to idle every time. And usually after I do the run-up, I, I kill the motor, then I strap into the wing. Once I got the wing locked on, before I grab the brakes, I'll do a restart. But I always like to kill it first, just to make sure my, my stop button's working. Sounds good, man. Sounds like you got it. So, so I wonder how many people actually have a checklist written down that they go through, or is it all in memory? Kevin, you're back on. Welcome. I have a checklist. Yeah, well, I didn't drop all the way off. I was just trying to mute myself. Anyway, um, I do a post-flight check. It's kind of like a pre-flight check for the next time. But when I get back home and I throw my motor up on the stand and I'm all good and happy, I start at the top and work my way through to the bottom. And I just double check that my airbox clamp is still tight because it's kind of notorious that the airbox will rotate and get in the prop. So I make sure that doesn't happen. And then I just work my way down. All of the bolts have the little paint marks on them. And so I just visually reference that the paint marks are still all aligned, whether it's the carb body, the intake body where the reeds are or the, the bolts that mounted to the actual frame itself. And then I, I go through and just quickly retorque and or should I say retorque on the prop bolts, make sure that none of them came loose. And then I'm, I, I basically just justify that the, the, you know, the whole frame was ready to fly for the next time I'm good to go. So if I, forget, if I forget, because I'm the kind of person that gets ahead of myself sometimes, and so I may not come around and bang or shake on the prop or bang or shake on the exhaust or something like that. If I remember to do it as I put everything away, then in my haste or in my hurry, I won't miss it in the pre-flight the next time around. That's what I do all That's what I do. Yeah, usually after I, when I'm done with the flight, before I put it back in the trailer, I tend to look over everything. And I love having the, uh, the paint marks on the bolts because you can see what happens. It also gives me time to get on Amazon or SkySports.net USA or whatever and, and then make an order and get a new throttle or a new button or a new whatever it is I need to get if I find something missing. And then by the time it comes, I can smack it on the motor and then I'm back up in the air pretty quick. So it's really, really kind of frustrating to think I'm going to fly today to find out that something's not right because I pre-flighted at the field and didn't check it when I got home. And now I'm not flying, and I took the time to drive. Yeah, so I was getting ready to do there. All right. Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. <laughs> was that it? Oh, you're all right. All right. Yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, post-flight your uh, machine, and it's kind of like a pre-flight for the next time. Do you trust that um, that paint mark? Because I found that even though I 
use that paint stuff for my stuff for my bolts I'd still go over and I notice that they are that they that the paint actually moved with it it had to be the whole stud moving if that was well, the case well the paint that I use is this yeah but the paint I use is this weird decorative puff paint from Michaels it's not like automotive paint and so the way that it adheres between the bolt and the aluminum plate if it was the shift you would actually see it like wave it's not there it's not there to hold it it's not loctite it's just a visual reference is all i use it for if you get the regular automotive uh you know paint marking stuff it'll actually it's hard so when it moves it cracks and you, you can definitely yeah. tell but it's kind of a pain in the neck to get off if you ever have to take the motor off and then you have a bunch of paint marks and it's, you know, just start, it kind of starts to get nasty a little bit. A little bit of rubbing alcohol can clean this stuff up if you have to get it off. The lacquer it's just, takes off the, uh, the torque check yeah. paint. It's just, it's, it's just a reference thing is all it is for me. I used to use a Sharpie and then I decided that this little puff paint stuff that I found at Michael's worked really well, so I just kind of went with that. I decided to uh, to not use that stuff anymore and just actually go through and check all the bolts because there's not that many. Might as well just crank it down and see what happens. Um, and nine times out of ten, I get one out of the whole paramotor that needed a little because it was a little bit loose. My next uh, rebuild on the motor, I'm going to actually take the bolts out and drill them and do start doing the tie wire. Ah, that's good. They're not going to move. They're tie wired. They ain't going to move. Is that something that Start you wire them up? Like like all of them, or just? Oh, JP's up in the air already. That's go ahead, and, go ahead and unmute him and see if he's talking to us. Hold on here. Now he's got himself muted. I think because I can't unmute him. Oh. Well, he can hear us while he's muted, and he should turn his phone so we're not looking down at his lap. <laughs> for there, there we go. Yeah, for there we go. See, what, what JP doesn't know is I've already reported him to the FAA for being a photographer. <laughs> All right, so it looks like we can see JP flying. So, you know, guys, this is now officially the second live launch and flight. Because I did one, was it two weeks ago? Yeah. And now JP. This is what this show is all about, though, showing the live flight, showing the, the crazy stuff, you know. I think one, one day we need to all be in the air and do the show. So Bill H says he had a load strap come unattached. That's never good. What's that? I'm looking at the chat right now, and, and uh, Bill says I had a leg strap come unattached. So that's never good. Oh my! No, that's a little hairy there. Super student says it's called torque check paint. That's right, torque yep. check paint. I call it fluffy paint from Michaels because that's where I get it. That's, that's where my wife got it, and I stole her shit. Go to Granger, you can buy the torque check paint real cheap. Oh yeah. But I'm well, thinking see, ever, that... ever since I sold my Jeep, I stopped making daily trips to Napa, so it's harder to get over to the parts store nowadays. 
So, JP, can you hear it? Say again? Can you hear us? I can. That is so cool. How high are you right now? A little loud. Oh, uh, not very. Maybe 500 feet. No, I, no, I meant how high are you? <laughs> ah, this is a funny guy. <laughs> so, I'm rocking my PPG so I think he said that he's rocking his spider. Is oh, his uh, PPG smoke uh, strobes, his wingtip oh. strobes. Oh. oh, he's getting ready to throw down a little bit of acro there. All right, we're, we're ready to do some acro, JP. Go ahead. And so that's what got me. I was climbing up. I was at the beach climbing, and I was going up to do some acro. I was actually going to go in and do some barrel rolls and stuff. And right when I was mid-climb, I was climbing, climbing, and then it just fell in space. Wow. <laughs> going down. That was my first motor out, too. Well, it's never fun when you have a motor out and you're trying to go fly. Well, I was at like five or six hundred feet, and I was probably about two hundred meters out to sea climbing, and so I had to make an immediate one eighty and head straight back for the beach. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're not going up, we're going down. That's where that paragliding experience comes in, where you can just look at the beach and go, okay, I know where I'm gonna go, and just decide where your spot land is, and then you just start making turns and setting up for your spot. Yep, know, know what your glide slope's going to be. It was, it was, it was, it, everyone on the beach actually thought I did it on purpose. They thought I just climbed up, shut the motor off, and then came in for landing. So I said, I was like, I told my wife, I said, what was I supposed to do? Throw my I've always been more paramotor pilots. Why more paramotor pilots don't safety wire their important hardware? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at like, I'm thinking next time I tear mine apart, I want to just start safety wiring everything, especially the stuff that I don't want coming loose, like cylinder heads and maybe even the prop. All right, JP, we, we got to see. I got in the habit even safety wire my one more blade bolt, for Christ's sake. Hey, when you're a pilot and you have the wrap and the little pair of pliers, you just start safety wiring everything you can actually safety wire. It's just kind of something you do. It just it looks nice too. I mean, it really looks oh, yeah. it looks aviation professional when yet your wires all motored in, you know, tied in. You ain't coming loose. I thought it was funny when I I had my Mustang. I bought a set of uh, two piece rotors, and we drilled and safety wired all of the bolts from the hat to the rotor. And everybody said the same thing. They were like, oh, it was like, eh, it's just the looks. I don't ever anticipate the rotor falling apart, but, you know, looks cool. Well, I got so well, used to doing it on the pulling tractors, you know, with the jet engines and stuff. Like, you have to safety wire everything you take apart, so. Oh, yeah. On top of looking slick, it's just, it keeps things from vibrating apart. That extra layer of safety right there always. Well, it's kind of the opposite of can't be tight if it's liquid. It can't be loose if it's tied down. Yep. If it's got wire on it, it ain't coming loose unless you cut that wire. What happened to JP? It looks like he's uh, bouncing all over the place. What's going on over here? 
JP, tell us a little something, something now that you're in the air. Is it smooth? You look like you're bouncing around a little bit. What's going on over there? No, tell it's, us a story uh, while that you're hard to hear you guys. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're talking to me. Yeah, what's the what's the weather like right now? Is it a smooth flight? Are you dealing with bumps? What's going on? Looks like you're bouncing around. Three. Anything? Oh, uh, nah, dude. Just doing some, some twisty bit. Just doing the twisty bit? That's on purpose. Oh, okay. So, what's that? I said, okay, okay. Nah, dude, it's perfectly smooth right now. It's, it's, uh, couldn't ask for anything better. I think we're going to have to like, get a GoFundMe so we can get JP instead of shoes or something. Sorry, what's that, Sean? Well, I was telling JP to tell us a story now that he's up in the air. This is not an ideal setup, to be honest with you. It's really hard to hear you guys, and uh, I can't hear myself, so I don't know if you can hear me that well. We hear you. The joy of vlogging okay. from Messina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that feel. Yeah, he, this guy knows, so. Um, yeah. Nice night, though. Beautiful night. I wish Liz was up here with me. He had a little little fumble on his takeoff, so he's packing up right now. So we'll get him up in the air next time. Hey, I'm taking a video of you guys taking a video of me taking a video. <laughs> Look at this, though, for real. Like, it doesn't get any freaking better than that. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
Can Shane hear us? Am, so, am I on? Yeah, you're on, Shane. Oh. Oh. I'm, I'm fixing to start grilling outside in the rain. It should be super fun. Well, JP's flying up in the air in the uh, the sunshine. Yeah, well, I'm in the sunshine state. It's just not sunny right now. Uh, we stole it. We brought it to Ohio. Yeah. I'll bring it back when I come down here in a few weeks. Yeah, you should because, uh, yeah, I don't like this. I, I, it was perfect all weekend long until uh, this morning when we got ready to pack up and leave. And, uh, yeah, it's been crappy ever since. Anyways. Have you ever thrown a reserve? No, I haven't even had a tip or, uh, collapse, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> my, my, uh, I'm, I'm fixing to, I was going, I, I shouldn't say that. There has been a change of plans. There's been a miscommunication on some stuff with Andrew Fuller. So, um, I am going to class, I think August 9th, right before my birthday. Um, I'll be doing a two day class. So I'm hoping to throw the reserve then. I think that's going to be beyond fun. And uh, I can't wait because I literally just had the uh, first time ever this weekend. We took off out of a new LZ. I shouldn't say my new LZ. It was uh, – we went camping, and I found this LZ off of the interstate. I flew from it before when I was fresh, less than 15 hours. And now that I have over 40 hours – it wasn't a big deal. I, I flew much comfortable and, and more confident. But we went south, and as we turned around to go back to our LP, the fog had come in behind us and literally could not see the grounds. This has never happened to me before. And I don't know how many people have ever had the fog come in and you can't see the ground, but I was about 15 minutes of never seeing an ounce of the grounds. Wasn't fun. That's cool. No, that's, that's what I that's what I kept saying. So that is a fun phenomenon known as convection fog. Convection fog will ruin your day as a pilot sometimes and you'll have to go find alternative LZs. Not fun. Well, I tried to go below it. I tried to just dip down in it and, and see where the bottom was. And my um, altimeter said that I was less than 100 foot off the ground and I still couldn't see the grounds. So I went back up <laughs> through everything and decided I'd wait until I could find a hole. And that didn't actually happen until after I was a little more than a mile, mile and a half from my LZ where we took off. And I can honestly tell you, I was uh, this is the most uncomfortable flight from the very first time that I took off as a new pilot till now. This was the most uncomfortable flight I've ever had. What was, what was uncomfortable, Shane? What made you uncomfortable? Let's expound well, on that feeling. Yeah. Well, I, I've never not been able to see the ground. I know that I'm supposed to see the grounds legally and, and um, well, cautiously, you're supposed to always see the ground. And uh, I just, 
I had a feeling that if my motor went out, I would be right at a hundred feet coming through the fog and realizing that I have to find LZ at a hundred feet. What is that? Maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds? Yeah, about that. So for me, I was uncomfortable. I was listen, I'd never concentrated so hard on my motor <laughs> for any stutter steps, sputtering. I was just like, oh my God, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Not now. And I did, I did, uh, uh, I'm I'm a I don't want to say I'm a com confident fire pilot. You're a, con but, you're a cocky sob. What are you talking about? No, I uh, dude. I'm the first one to tell you I'm a new. <laughs> don't know nothing. I will tell you that from the start of the day. <laughs> Dang it! That's loud. JP, fix your camera. I know. We don't know. What to say. I'm sorry to everyone wearing headphones. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, the reason I came on the show tonight, and uh, thank you, Nick, for letting me do this, but uh, for, for this poker run that's June 6th, I'm going to wake up bright and early. I'm going to go live from the very beginning to the very end. I'm going to catch a couple pilots taken off, a couple pilots, um, and then myself, I'm going to live hope everything goes right i'm gonna take off i'll fly I'll, I'll have you guys whoever wants to to watch who can't be there i will fly the whole poker run and uh i will land at avon i will catch a couple people doing uh landings and then i will take off again and land at wachula i then again will catch the rest of the guys coming in if I'm not actually, I shouldn't say that. I might be the last guy landing. Who knows? Um, I'm gonna catch some people landing, and then we're gonna go through the the first prize, second prize, third prize, and do the giveaways. So those who can't be there, I'm gonna do an entire show, a live, if you will, not show, an entire live. Um, just so those who can't so be you're there. Gonna, so what you're saying is you're gonna play Lois Lane for the poker run. You're gonna report all the news. I'm going to record the entire thing live. So my takeoffs, if I biff it, it's going to be live. <laughs> if it, No, seriously, that's got me more scared than going above the clouds. Hey, just don't land next to any road signs and you'll be all right. Hey, that is a great video. That is a great that, learning video. <laughs> I'm guessing I, I have to make sure I let you get in the air before I try to take off then. Well, that's fine. I you you still have to be if you land before me, that's scary too, because I don't really have a spot landing. I have an area code landing. No, I'm the same way. I, I, I can spot land in a few hundred yards, but it's never pretty. No, I today. I I run it in the ground. Well, with all consideration, PPG Grandpa takes a hand truck with him. He just hand trucks water around. He doesn't even carry it. Oh man! No, seriously, I I my 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 landings. I'm I'm actually hopefully Friday going to go over to Avon before the fly-in, and hopefully get uh, Lauren to help me out. He already said he would help me out with uh, my spot landings, and uh, hopefully 
he's really good at uh, fixing me quickly because Saturday morning I'm taking off and well I'm landing back at eight in the Avon Park maybe just outside now put the stakes on I'm putting um what what do you say Hey, Pete, your camera is sideways. We, we can't see what you're doing. And, and JP, you're right now. JP, you're talking sideways. We can't understand you. He's landing. There we go. Oh, we see it. oh he's foot dragons. I can't understand you. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta, I, I gotta put you guys down for a second so I can. Actually, I can go ahead and and, and jump off. I just wanted to uh, let everybody know if you're interested, I will be doing the entire show live so that those who can't be here can watch it. And if you don't want to watch it, eh, I could biff a launch. I'm definitely gonna biff a landing. Just so you know. And well, don't destroy the equipment. We're good. Where can we go, Shane? Where can we go, Shane? Oh, you want the ring? My uh, YouTube channel is Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane. Hold on, JP is killing me. So if you want to watch this, um, come June six, you can go to my YouTube channel. It's mm -hmm. Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane, and <laughs> I will be going. I will be going live from. <laughs> what 20 minutes before six o'clock probably until whenever it stops who knows i got three external batteries and uh we will we will uh go until those run out that sounds awesome guys it's already been an hour we're going to continue the after show here in just a moment so don't go nowhere we're just going to be ending the uh the podcast and the audio podcast here uh thank you everyone uh, for joining us kevin can fly shane never trust a skinny chef JP here and uh, and uh, Bob Bob was out there. So y'all have a great day. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, don't go nowhere because now we're going to open this all up for our after show. So we'll see you next week. All right. Did Nick go? Where's Nick? I'm here. I'll put the numbers in the chat so everybody can join. All right. That was really, that was really cool. I can't believe an hour went by. It doesn't take long. Uh, uh, or when